Welcome, or welcome back. I'm Marty Young, septuagenarian creator, writer, and host of the Primrose Chronicles podcast. It's great to be back with you for the prequel to our second season's most recent episode that centered on one boomer teen's acclaim for the automobile over the course of those formative years. This one's still about cars and my interaction with the same, but covering the foundational experience of initial anxiety. Later in March, a trio of tales will fall under the auspicious title that adjusts the last tales title from To All the Cars I Loved Before to All the Cars I Crashed Before, and that'll be March 9th. Today, I simply call this installment in the TPC project, It Almost Didn't Happen, and you'll see why if you keep listening. I mentioned before how I confidently took the family station wagon, a 1953 Mercury variety with power steering, and mom as a passenger, down to the driver's license bureau located in the strip mall called Town and Country at 45th and Keystone. Today, I'll fill in some of the details I've avoided to this point in my previous narrative. Having conjured up the bravado to finally lay myself bare, transparent, and vulnerable, in this week's telling. So here we go, again. First of all, the initial quest for securing my driver's license would be a mid-morning affair during school hours, excusing me from at least two periods of core class instruction. And that day began as any other day of my junior year. I rode the bus that fateful morning as always in my recent past. A bicycle was no longer cool for a young third-year underclassman. Remember, my buddies and my classmates were six months to a year older than I, so public transportation was where it was at. So, it was a walk from the house up to 46th Street, take the westbound bus, being certain to pay the extra nickel for a transfer, disembark at college, wait for the gathering throngs in front of 7-Eleven Supermarket, then to head north on college, back east on Broad Ripple Avenue, before being deposited in front of Broad Ripple High School, the home of the Rockets. Until I achieved my freedom pass, better known as my driver's license, I would also have to ride Indianapolis public transit home. This time, no transfer, just east on Broad Ripple Avenue to Keystone, then south, past 51st Street, taking the jog again down Erie to 46th, right and down to the Primrose Stop only to do it again the next day. Now, I may make the ride sound like an express, but actually every couple of blocks we stopped in the a.m. to pick up passengers and the p.m. to drop off others. So finally, having my own wheels, even if they were as old as me, that'd be my off-mentioned Plymouth, allowed me either a later start from the house going straight up Primrose and into the school lot, or leaving the same time even a little earlier, allowing me to get in on the poker games that dotted the study hall 217 tables. That vice is also for another chapter. Anyway, in order for old Betsy to roll out of the driveway, at least with me behind the wheel, I needed that precious card issued by the state saying I was legally afforded all the rights and privileges of a motorist to be on the streets and roads of not only the state but the entire nation. This was an epic accomplishment in the life of any teen. The monumental nature of what I was about to be awarded was no doubt running through my mind as Mom and I headed down from the school for my tests. One written, one behind the wheel, with an examiner. 
She let me drive in preparation for what was ahead, and of course I was excited, if not just a little nervous. Mom, always the careful one behind the wheel because of the precious cargo she usually had in tow, said more than once en route that I needed to slow down. Marty, your appointment is still not for a few minutes, she said. Well, we arrived at Town & Country Strip Mall, a little ahead of schedule, and found a spot where I could angle park in front of the bureau. We stopped, I kept the keys, and she found a seat out in front in the lobby while I went up to the business window. I exchanged a couple of nervous pleasantries with the clerk, then exchanged some cash and my provisional license issued by my high school driver's ed teacher for a lengthy test based on the material said teacher had boringly and monotonously made us familiar with over the past semester. Editorial comments aside, The rest of his efforts of instruction made the test that I took, standing in a cubicle along the wall, a piece of cake. Triumphantly and hastily, I returned to the clerk-turned-proctor and watched as she scored my answers. Ever the competitor, I knew how others in my class had scored, so I was seeking perfection. It was not to be. I missed one in my haste. One I knew if only I had slowed it all to read carefully. While I wouldn't be bragging about flawless, it was still more than enough to send me on to the road test, the the behind-the-wheel-rolling-down-the-street variety, and I knew this was where I would shine. I'd been out multiple times with three other students and the coach-driver's-training instructor in high school vehicles, four-door sedans, specially equipped with passenger-side brakes, and I had done just fine. That extra set of brakes did serve our carload marvelously the day a girl made her first trip at highway speeds on I-465, which was the unfinished loop around the Hoosier capital. I seem to recall we entered from the Cloverleaf section on West 38th Street and exited on North Keystone, but I could be wrong about those coordinates. Anyway, she was flying along at about 65 miles an hour when she was instructed to get off at the Keystone ramp but she actually neglected to slow for the turn. As our lives passed before our eyes from the back seat, our instructor literally stood on his brake and loudly instructed, some would say yelled, for the girl to get off the accelerator. And we were able to stop at the end of the ramp before careening into southbound traffic. Our instructor gave us a few more days of surface street driving before any one of us were permitted behind the wheel for another interstate excursion. And I'm sure mom and dad both wish they had a passenger braking system at times when they rode with me during the required hours of practice. But in my limited memory, I was a stellar driver. And to think that that permit would be firmly packed in my wallet and my Plymouth keys would be in my pocket, it was just a matter of time. So I waited next to mom to be called to my fateful moment of skills evaluation. Eventually it came but it was disconcerting. A girl I knew only slightly from school, a year behind me in grade, came through the door with a rather red-faced angry man in a suit and tie while she was fighting back tears. This didn't look good. And it wasn't. She had failed her over-the-road effort, perhaps terrifying the examiner in the process, I do not know. All I knew was my own level of apprehension rose and my level of confidence dropped into a imperfect storm. Sure enough, after a few curt words to the clerk, the girl and her father who had accompanied her, 
he came over to me with a clean sheet of driving tasks that I would be judged against. Even as he spoke to me, I looked with one eye beyond him to the unknown classmate, now in full sob mode being consoled by her father. The examiner's first words to me were not promising. You're my third teen today and neither of the other two have passed. I'm beginning to wonder if that high school is teaching you kids anything before handing out these permits. Neither mom or I knew if we were supposed to answer, but before we even attempted an utterance, he asked almost daringly, Are you ready? By now, I was not sure how to answer that either, but I solemnly rose and walked ahead of him out to the car, and the first order of business was to check all the lights, headlight, turn signals, and brake. I have no idea what went wrong. Dad and I had been around the car on that same inspection route last night, and everything was in proper working order. Not today. A rear turn signal did not blink, so my examiner did not even get into the car, and I did not get to take my driving test. Instead, I went back inside, Mom wondering what had happened. He took my provisional permit back from the clerk, handed it to me, and rather rudely told my mother to come back with a car that itself would pass the inspection. And that we were lucky he didn't step out into the parking lot, head over to one of the police cruisers parked there, and have them issue us a fix-it ticket. I talked then with the clerk, who told us, we could schedule another appointment as early as the next week, would not have to pay any more money, or take the written test over again. Assuming the taillight was not a major electrical malfunction, Mom and I briefly conferred and decided on a day the following week. Mom was visibly shaken, not a little angered by the rude little man in the suit, so I drove back to the high school already bracing for the ridicule of classmates instead of the triumphal entry I had been anticipating. I used arm signals out the driver's side window so as not to be flagged for the defective turn light. We stopped at Guarantee Auto and got the bulb. I mean, even I could replace that when I got home. I then got out at the back of the campus buildings and Mom moved over to drive as I went in. She figured she could go straight down Primrose to the house without an encounter with the gendarmes. She said, see you when you get home. It'll be all right. And she loved me. You know, the typical stuff moms say in tough times. And after checking in at the attendance office, it was time for lunch. But I'd be riding the bus for yet a few more days. I'd like to say that that next week's trip to the DMV was a coronation of my efforts after the delays brought on by the events of the previous appointment. But, as I awaited my turn for the road test, I realized it would very likely be at the hands of the same tester who had flagged our car. This time the Mercury passed, though, and the scrutiny of my prowess would be put to the test. He was no more pleasant than before, however, and this time I was in a confined area with him, Mano Atino, if that's such a phrase. If not, I'm going to copyright it. Because for the next few minutes, my every move, decision, and action would be scrutinized. And the thought of that imminent reality once again raised my anxiety level and most likely led to the series of blunders that cut short this second effort at official driving acumen. To begin with, 
After seating myself in the driver's seat, I inserted the key, made sure the automatic transmission was in park, and turned the ignition, only slightly giving the engine gas. It started. So far, so good. But not good, according to my instructor. Points were taken off for not adjusting my rearview mirror and driver's side outside mirror beforehand. Now, to my credit, I had again driven to the DMV from the high school where I had adjusted the mirrors following my mother's driving the wagon. No one had driven it since, but that was not an acceptable explanation for my failure to check the mirror's lines of sight. Points off, and I hadn't even left the parking place. A bit impatiently, I felt, he said, let's go. And I quickly checked mirrors and back, left and right, as I put the gear shift into reverse. Error number two. I did not throw my right arm up on the back of the seat and turn to look behind and around me, trusting the two side mirrors in the rear view. Promptly and duly noted, again I was marked down quickly using up a couple more of the 10 or so points that I would have to have to be above the pass-fail cut line. I then backed into the traffic lane, stopped, that was good, and moved the lever into drive, rolling slowly toward the driveway onto Keystone. At this point, moving violations would conclude the test abruptly, and failing to parallel park efficiently on a side street would also pile up enough points to send me back to school again in failure. All that weighed upon me, so that as I reached the sidewalk before Keystone Avenue, I was already fearful that I might not find a break in traffic large enough to ease into, instead requiring a significant expression of horsepower, gas pedal to drivetrain. I knew that could produce an unintentional squealing of tires, maybe a rapid turn that might dislodge my already reluctant passenger from his seat, this was before seatbelts, lap or otherwise, and then I would need to safely but quickly change lanes on my left to turn left on 46th Street. As events would have it, I did not have to worry about any of that. Everything I was worried about overrode wide decisions, and I rolled over the sidewalk before stopping at the street. Had there been a pedestrian or a bike using that three-foot width of concrete, I would have run them over. So said the Grand Inquisitor seated next to me, followed by, take it back in. You're not getting your license today. And with that, I meekly went into the next driveway north, next to the bowling alley, and on around back onto old Allisonville Road, into the same parking lot, not having been gone long enough to even lose the spot that I had just backed out of. I walked back in, shaking my head, no at mom. Again, the examiner went to the clerk and retrieved my temporary permit again. This time, it would have to be a month out to retest, and that appointment could not be scheduled for over a week. Mom drove me back to school this time. A 16-year-old's tears of failure did not allow me a proper field of vision. The last thing I wanted to do was return to school in defeat yet again and have to acknowledge that this time it was all on me. Four weeks out of school would not cut it, so I just had to suck it up, endure the taunts, and try and meet them with my own self-deprecating attempts at humor. It was tough for a few days. 
occasionally tough for the remaining weeks, but the proverbial sticks and stones prevailed, and the day of yet another time of inspection was finally upon me. Again, I left Ripple early. Again, Mom let me drive. And again, we found a parking place out in front of the State Bureau. Again, we went in. And again, I was assigned the same little man, in the same little suit, perhaps a different tie, but the same dour look on his face as he looked up and again saw one he had previously kicked to the curb. He had just been doing his part to keep the next generation off the road and his peers, if he had any, safely traversing without the dangers of inexperienced and improperly trained drivers. And now... It was time for me to do it again. Okay, all that probably was not in his makeup, but having had a month to consider the affronts that I had endured at his hands, I did not believe he had any redeeming social character. As a result, I also sensed certain doom, likely facing yet another unceremonious denial of my freedom and, at the very least, a six-month ban on my full driving privileges before I could again attempt the effort. I had already decided that should such occur, I'd travel to another branch, take my chances with another examiner. They could not all be spawns of Satan. As you can sense, I was not in a good frame of mind as I walked out to our car, feeling more like I was being accompanied by my executioner than my examiner. It was then that the heavens opened. A bright new day dawned. As I walked out, who should walk in on official business but police officer Johnny Flack in his official blue uniform. Johnny lived in our neighborhood with his family, next block up on Primrose. His kids played with my brothers and sisters. I delivered both his morning and his evening newspapers at different times in my carrier career. Except for a small run-in regarding snowballs and cross-town traffic, we had a great relationship. He was coming in on some vehicle business, and I said brightly, Hi, Johnny. Just as pleasantly, he responded, Hi yourself, Marty. Then he turned to my examiner and said rather matter-of-factly, This is a fine young man. You treat him right. And then he held the door as we walked to the Mercury, and he himself went in. I am not sure what I might have been in for if that encounter had not taken place. But, very matter-of-factly, after I faked at adjusting mirrors that needed none, started the engine smoothly, placed my arm on the seat back, and eased out of the space, I had learned something from previous failure. At that point, very personally, my passenger, the official representative of the Indiana Department of Motor Vehicles, said, head for Keystone, and don't forget to stop at the sidewalk first. He was actually coaching me while testing me. I stopped, then crossed the walk, stopped again, turned into the first lane, waiting for further instructions. At that point, he set me on the same route as the first time I failed, right into the bowling alley lot, back behind it, right and right again, in front of the grocery store where he told me to angle park to my left across the aisle in front of the bureau from which we came. Good job, was all he said. Put it in park. Turn it off. Let's go inside and get you your license. That was it. No extended street driving, no parallel parking, and I was going to be a legal motorist. 
We walked in, and Officer Flack was still talking to Mom. She came up short when she saw me back so soon and looked at the one who had been my tormentor and hers the last time in those premises. Unlike the two previous instances, he smiled, winked at Johnny, and said he did just fine. I still don't know what extent my knowing a familiar face in uniform had to do with the ease at which I was tested. Maybe the little man in the suit and tie had his brand for a change at breakfast, or his Windsor knot was a little looser, but I have always chosen to believe it had a lot to do with my friend in blue. Now, I'm not saying that was wise for the future good of traffic in general. An upcoming episode might suggest it was not, but I'll always believe that a broad smile from a law enforcement officer gained for one boomer teen, anyway, what to that point he'd been unable to achieve. And Johnny Flack was even more of a personable hero in my book, whom I did not want to disappoint by making poor choices in which he might need to officially become involved. It was yet another deterrent, besides the boundaries set by mom and dad, that kept me more or less on the straight and narrow. Maybe it did take a village. Future stories and interviews will help you decide that for yourself further, if you choose to listen. But that's all I'm sharing for now. I'm excited to bring next week's offering to your eager ears as I offer for your consideration my first interview in the TPC project, and I'm beginning with a bang. 2023 marks the 60th anniversary of the Broderville Rockets' deep run into the Indiana High School basketball tournament. The last week in February through the middle of March 1963 was a time when Hoosier hysteria turned orange and black, and that's the installment that drops March the 2nd in recognition of that accomplishment. In addition to my remembrances of those three weeks of contests as a spectator, I'm honored to welcome the starting guard from that team who went on to star at DePaul University and was just in September inducted into the Indiana High School Basketball Hall of Fame. That would be Jack Hogan. He was a wonderful guest. Our conversation goes well beyond the game and the court of Rodderpool basketball into talking about special times in high school and around the Northeast side. I'm truly grateful for his agreeing to participate. You'll not want to miss that inaugural effort, stemming from your input for making the Chronicles better than it already is. In the next year, we'll be hearing from an international news correspondent and author, members of the law and order community, a world-respected theologian and historian, pastors, renowned educators, and Indianapolis business owners, among others, as well as members of my family, immediate and extended common thread for all, they were characters in the Primrose Chronicle saga. I'll dedicate one episode a month to someone or ones from the stable of individuals that made up my remembrances of Primrose Lane, or Primrose Avenue. And until that time, blessings.